0: What's going on guys? Welcome back to the Your Boy Elroy podcast. I am your guest host this week, Ron Pashery, and with me, as he is with prep every week, my good buddy, Andre Rodriguez. Andre, what's going on? What's going on, Pash? Not too much. I'm excited for the weekend ahead of UFC action, excited for the return of Conor McGregor in an exciting fight against Donald Cerrone. Obviously, I would like to say hello to my good buddy Prep, who is enjoying himself in Mexico right now. So don't expect the exact same show you get every week. I myself am not Josh Prepagina. Could only hope to do my best to to fill his shoes. Um... But Andre, how are you feeling about this weekend uh, of UFC action?
1: Uh, I'm feeling great, super excited, and I uh, can't wait to start the new year off right. Same here. Uh, we'll start off with news like you guys
0: always do, and I think the most newsworthy, noteworthy thing to happen during this week was Ariel Hawani's interview with Conor McGregor, over 45 minutes long. Did you have any takeaways from this interview with, with Conor and
1: Ariel? uh honestly i just what i saw a lot was kind of the old comer the old connor coming back out where he was kind of making excuses about certain situations and uh he just kind of wanted to talk about big money fights and how he was still you know the money fight and the draw and um you know it it sucks because he also spoke about oh well you know I'm working on patience and and I've matured over time. And it it seems like he's probably matured more as a businessman than he has as a fighter. And um, I'm just hoping that he can go into this fight level headed with uh, a clear mindset get the job done and and if he really says that he wants to fight three times a year i hope that nothing will get in his way and he won't be chasing after money fights i mean listen if i was in his shoes and i was making 80 million for a fight i don't think i'd fight again because i think that's the point of fighting But, you know, at the same time, he has such um, a talent and he has such a gift, you know, not just with his left hand, but his movement, his footwork. And I would just hope that maybe this year we could see more of that. I think the fans would really enjoy to see Conor more in the cage. Uh, I agree completely. And it's interesting. Like some of the things you said
0: that you took away from the interview are like almost opposite from what I took away, so I'll I'll ask you some specifics, but like, my first takeaway is, going back, now I'll I'll let uh, the listeners in a little bit inside or behind the curtain, this was the point of our first attempt recording the podcast, uh, where we kind of came to a a screeching halt, so we finally have caught up to where we left off, hopefully you can hear me alright this time, better than you did last time yeah okay good uh, no definitely all right good <laughs> so we're we're off to the races now i think um so connor i said this to people leading up to his his uh fight with floyd and leading up to his fight with khabib he did not seem like the same guy to me like the guy we saw during his rides in the ufc was a guy that was having fun joking around laughing all the time granted He was kind of being a dickhead to everybody around him, but it seemed like he was doing it in a way where he was having fun and enjoying himself. In the Floyd fight, you kind of saw this side to him that was like a little bit more on edge, a little bit nastier, a little bit more antagonistic, and almost seemed like he was... I don't know, like there just was something about him that seemed like it was... It was not coming from a positive place. And then going into the Khabib fight, I feel like we saw that even more, where he just seemed so angry and so vicious and almost like he wasn't in control of his emotions. Uh, Like he seemed legitimately angry and mad and unhappy and didn't seem like the guy we had gotten to know for all those years before. And you could even see it, really, like, in hindsight, spilling out into his life outside of, like, being behind a microphone. You saw it with him, obviously, having that violent uh, situation with Khabib on the bus. And some things that happened, you know, the, the old man at the bar and, like, all these things that that seemed to start happening to him. Almost like a guy who lost control. Um Some of that may be because he was drinking. You know, he was releasing his whiskey. I don't know how much the guy was drinking. I know we talked about that with Ariel, but I felt like he was a guy who was intoxicated more often than not when we heard him talk at that time. Uh, And now we see him have this interview with Ariel, and I I totally agree with that's one of the things that concerns me is he's talking a lot about things beyond this fight. And it's like, dude, you better be focused on this fight because this is not an easy fight for you. Uh, But it seemed to me like a guy who was a lot more calm. Uh, He seemed a lot more in control. He seemed a lot more at peace. Like when he talked to Ariel, he seemed like a guy who was in the right frame of mind at least. Like he seemed like he was coming from a good place. Uh, He wasn't really to me I didn't think he was being like cocky or arrogant Uh, maybe getting a little bit ahead of himself but maybe that's good in that he still has the same ambition maybe he just has kind of harnessed his emotions a little better Um, like do you see any of that or do you think he's kind of putting it on because he almost knows he has to be a little different
1: than the way he was before. Yeah, I think in this case like one of the main issues with him is that he's always been seen as this brash um character where it's his way or no way um he's going to control the the lead up he's going to set the t- the pace and the tone and he's going to make sure that he's the alpha in the room and um i think in this case like he said like th- this is a different aspect in his life now um he's a family man now and now he's really trying to get it together as far as um you know making more fights being more um I guess you can say, you know, you want to be able to work with him more. And the UFC was having an issue with that because he was like, oh, I'll only take a fight if it's worth $100 million and if it's with somebody that I want to fight. And I think now he's in a different place. My only concern before was that you can kind of see like like when you were bringing up the the Floyd fight, he was just trying to – what I think he was just trying to do was just seize the moment. Because this was the biggest fight of his life. And he, I'm, I'm, I can imagine that he kind of went in there with the mindset that, hey, I probably don't have a shot unless I really do knock him out. But, um, you know, when you're, when you're standing before somebody who's worth almost, what, eight figures, nine figures? I mean, and you see that you have the opportunity to touch a little bit of that. I mean, I would probably end up acting like that, too. I mean, we're human beings. And, you know... I think that what happened with him was that after that fight, seeing the money that he made, he had finally gotten a taste of everything that he had ever wanted, and now he couldn't let go of it. He couldn't let go of the idea of, I'm the big money fight. I'm the draw. I'm still here, even though he wasn't fighting. But, you know, in this case, I think this is going to be a reality check for him because this is not going to be a fight where he's just going to steamroll through Donald Cerrone. It's just not going to happen. The reality is is that the odds are stacked against Connor. And if he doesn't, you know, go in there with the right mindset and the right game plan to properly execute his game plan, he's going to probably end up getting finished inside three rounds. So he really has to be on his a game and he has to be sharp he and he also has to be confident but he has to be intelligent as well but i think that's the connor we'll see and and i'm hoping that we'll you know end up getting one of the best fights of 2020
0: yeah so just a, a little bit more about specifically about the interview before we move on uh and i know you and i have had like personal talks like this about like our own lives and kind of the things we we want to do or wish we were doing or the ways we might be falling short or the ways we might be too hard on ourselves and some of that I feel like I saw in Connor for a couple years like that chaos in his mind and now seeing him you know he has two kids now uh like you said he's made all this money like he doesn't have to chase that Floyd fight anymore? That's something he accomplished, and nobody could ever take away from him. I almost feel like he might have got to a place where he's like, "I don't need to keep reaching for more. I just want to be the best me that I can be." You know, he might have had me fooled. Yeah. He's had me fooled before. Uh, like he, I was one of the the people that was saying he should not fight Floyd. He has no chance to beat Floyd in a boxing match. And I said this for years leading up to it. And then after knowing the fight was going to be signed and hearing him talk about it, he almost had me convinced. Like, you know what? Maybe he can do it. He's very good at convincing you to believe what he wants you to believe. So he may have hooked me again where I'm like, you know what? This guy is now a family man. He's made a lot of mistakes. Uh, He kind of had his momentum taken away from him, even though he probably still is the biggest name, the biggest draw. I think that's been proven based on – the way that this fight sold, but it's like, huh. I look at it, and I'm like, maybe this guy has had some real life changes. Maybe he did learn some lessons along the way. You know, it's Joe Cavanaugh's, like, big thing and Connor's big thing is you're either winning or you're learning. He took a lot of L's, you know, whether it was in the boxing ring uh, against Floyd, in the octagon against Khabib, and just, like, in his real life with some of the things that happened with him. He took a lot of L's over the last couple years, and it's like maybe he did learn from all those losses accumulating. Maybe there are some lessons he applied. Maybe he is uh, centered in his mind, and a lot of that chaos is gone, and maybe that will lead to a better version of Connor in the octagon. And The other thing I wanted to bring up, did you watch any of the uh, embedded videos or no?
1: yeah i saw the first two episodes so far um it, it looks good I, I i like what they were doing um it was weird to see that donald was a little bit injured I, i'm hoping that's not something that's gonna really I mean, it was hurt like the neck the or
0: something they, they said whatever it was like the top of his spine or like the base
1: of his neck right well, I didn't hear that. I, what I saw was him limping on episode mm. 2 while he was in Vegas. Uh, but man, I hope there's nothing wrong with his neck cuz that'd be pretty terrible. I mean, neck injuries are nothing to be joked about when when it comes to being in the cage. I mean, we saw what happened with Tito Ortiz in his career. Yeah, I the,
0: the neck thing I know when he was getting a, he was getting a massage and he he was telling the masseuse like this is this is kind of where I need some attention, like right at the at the base of my neck. So it's probably not an injury, probably just some stiffness or soreness. Because he said we just had a long a long ride here. Uh, yeah. But that was another thing that struck me was the first time you see Connor in that embedded video is him going to, uh, like the UFC, whatever whatever the hell they call it. Uh, oh, the UFC PI, yes. the Performance Institute. Yes, that's where he went, and he ran into that like. I don't know who the, the guy was, something Smith, like the, the kind of young Bantamweight fighter and the guy asked oh, for yeah, a picture. Smith. Yes. And you see Connor, like it, it was like a very human moment that I saw. And I was like, you know what? I had already seen the Ariel interview. I watched that and I'm like, you know what? Like he has me convinced that he's like a much calmer, much more grounded person than he had been. And, I don't like we'll we'll definitely see on Saturday, like, if that's true or not. But he definitely he definitely has has convinced me more than he's convinced you. Uh now what were like some of the excuses that you that you mentioned? Like what were, were the excuses you saw making about the Khabib fight in particular?
1: Yeah, and also like kind of just the build up. I know that he was trying to say that like people were under the impression that he started all of that. But the reality is is that The the whole Artem thing looked bad. I get it. Khabib and his team kind of cornered Artem. Artem's not gonna try and fight seven guys who happen to be international master of sports in (laughs) sambo. You know, like it's just not gonna work. But I just feel like that could have been approached differently on both sides i know that khabib did that to take a dig at connor and and it's obvious you know he doesn't like him nobody likes him but you know there is a side to uh to connor where he is a humble guy i just think that when you have all those lights on you when you have tmz following you when you have people that are trying to expose every wrong thing that you do, when you have interviewers trying to to dig in every little part of your life and, and ask you personal questions when you're really just trying to promote a fight, I mean, I'd be pissed off too, you know, especially when you're trying to get away from that. But, you know, um, this fight comes down to whether all of this is going to mean something to him um, in his heart because at the end of the day, whether he loses or not, he's still making a big payday. But if we're talking about, you know, the Connor where if he loses, he's just going to be like, oh, it is what it is. Like, I broke my elbow or something. Then, you know, I think that that's going to take away from himself and Donald. Because I don't Donald, I don't think Donald Cerrone will be able to fully live out that glory of defeating Connor if Connor can't own up to it. But if he wins, I, I just hope that maybe that will ignite a fire in him to like finally be like, hey, I want to compete against the best. Let's go. I don't care who it is. Let's do it. You know? Right. Because to be is... honest, if he wins this fight, yeah, go
0: ahead. Oh, I was going to say, well, continue what you're going to say because I have one officially one last question. So finish your thought and then I'll, I'll ask you what I was going to ask.
1: Yeah, I I know that the the money fight part of Conor is probably saying, okay, well, I won at 170 uh, against a legitimate 170-pound fighter, and then I'm going to go in there and I'm going to campaign for a fight against George Masvidal. And the reality is I don't want to see him take that fight. I think the fight to make, in all honesty, is Justin Gaethje or a rematch with Dustin Poirier. Um, Because I think that if he really wants to make something of himself, it's definitely not going to be at welterweight. And I think he should just start campaigning at 155 after that. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, so it's an interesting way to look at it. And, yeah, this is officially my last question. Um, I'm trying to remember the way I wanted to word it. Uh, So one of the things you said that that made you a little concerned was him talking about all these things he wants to do, like – after this, like, he wants to win a boxing world title and he wants to fight Khabib again and he wants this and he wants that. I understand the the reason for concern because, like, you might be looking past the thing that's right in front of you. But is there any part of you that thinks, like, because I know I thought once he got paid that boxing money, this guy's not the same guy anymore. Like, how could you be? But is there any part of yeah. you that thinks, like... That this is more a display of like the fact that he's still hungry to accomplish something. Not that he's looking past what's ahead of him, but he knows, I'm hungry for all of this other stuff too. Like, do you, Is there any part of you that looks at it like that, from that aspect, as opposed to looking past Donald Cerrone?
1: Yeah, I think that, that there's definitely that part inside of him that's telling him, like, I don't like the fact that I'm not champion in the UFC anymore. I don't like the fact that there are guys who are just saying that they'd steamroll me and they'd butcher me inside in two rounds. Like, I think there's a part of him that wants to prove the world wrong. I mean, at one point, a lot of people may not remember, but Conor went 6-0 and in the featherweight division and pretty much defeated everybody via finish except for Max Holloway. And had the fastest knockout in title fight history against the longest, one of the longest reigning champions and the longest reigning UFC featherweight champion and WEC featherweight champion. Um, in in the like really the boogeyman Jose Aldo, he did something that no one was able to do. I mean, and and Jose Aldo had been in some wars with some of the best of the best in that division, but Connor did something that was just different. So I feel like Connor has to bring that momentum of what he did before because that's the only real key to his success i know that his style is going to be different and um i know that you know the way he approaches this has to be different because he's giving up what three to four inches in height um and he's giving up a lot of size. The fact that Donald didn't have to cut weight means that he's just really been focusing on skills. And I think that that's the competitive nature that Connor has to say – I don't want him to cut weight. I want him to be as strong as possible. So when I defeat him, there are no doubts about my abilities and where I'm at. And I think that's, that was the competitive side of Connor, you know? And, and, and I think that's a, that's a great thing. You know, obviously he's not doing Donald any favors because Donald can cut weight. He's a professional, right? (laughs) He's had some of the most fights in the UFC, the most finishes, the most head kick knockouts. So he knows what he's doing and within two divisions. Almost won a title at 170 as well because if he hadn't lost to Robbie Lawler, he basically would have gotten a title shot. So this is a fight where I think that Conor really wanted to set it up to make it look like, hey, like if I beat this guy, this is legitimate. I'm a real – I'm really back. So – That's why I'm so excited for this fight. This isn't like one of those Khabib versus Dustin fights where everything's on the line. But this is one of those fights where, like Connor said in the Ariel Hawani interview, this is a fan-friendly fight. A fight that excites everybody.
0: Yeah, and he's looking at it like, I like the way he presented it. Like, I'm happy to be fighting Donald. Like... To start my my new season or whatever whatever the word he had, like he's looking at this as like yeah. this is the start to like the like the next thing for him, which I think is interesting, and I will get a lot of questions answered, obviously we'll probably talk about this fight a little more specifically a little bit later, uh, but the next thing I wanted to bring up and, and this piece of news I brought up because I saw something you retweeted earlier today uh Robert Whitaker pulled out of. His fight against Jared Cannonier, due to, I believe it said, undisclosed personal reasons. Hopefully everything's all right with Robert Whittaker. You know, a uh, hell of a competitor, a great champion, a great fighter, and a guy that I don't know that anybody could have a bad thing to say about. Uh, hopefully everything is okay with him, like in his life, in his world. Um, and I don't know if we will ever know why and, or, or if we need to know why. But Jared Cannonier. so when I, when I saw this news story i had written a question for you which was is there another fight cannoneer can get that could match this type of opportunity like to fight a guy on that level like a former champion a guy who has won a couple wars against someone like yoel romero who's you know clearly like a very esteemed guy uh, in the world of mixed martial arts is there any opportunity that could even come close to matching this and then i happened to see a few hours ago you had retweeted someone uh saying they would like to see him get a fight with Edmund Shabazian, who I know you're a huge fan of because I'm I'm pretty sure you you talked very highly of him either last week or the week before.
1: Um, Yeah, we spoke about him a little bit on the MMA Awards show. On the Awards show, yeah. Um, So I was there for that one. Okay.
0: So that seems more like that's a great opportunity for Shabazian more so than for Canonier. So first... Is there another fight out there that would present the same level of opportunity for Cannoneer that Whitaker would? And then uh, do you think Edmund Shabazian is ready for that? Or explain why you'd love to see Edmund get
1: that fight. So answer whichever one you'd like to first. So I'll answer first when it comes to like uh, who he could fight that could leave him in the same position to get a title shot. Um, the only real guy that he could fight would be Darren Till um darren till even though a lot of people are like oh he hasn't legitimately entered into the title contention talks but the reality is that if he fights darren till and and the danger of cannoneer being beaten by darren till is very very evident and if he loses that means darren till will definitely get a title shot but if Jared Cannonier actually beats Darren Till, he will solidify himself as the number one contender. But here's the thing. When it comes to a fight with Yoel Romero, I don't think they'll do it because it's more of a risk for both fighters because of the um, the projection that Jared Cannonier has. And the fact that they're really campaigning for a fight between Yoel and Israel right now for his first title defense. But... The only other fight I would see that would make sense would be Edmund Shabazian because Edmund right now is on a tear. And um, although, yes, he did beat you know his last guy, I always forget his name. Mm. It's so bad that I do. <laughs> I'm so bad with names. But even with beating Brad Tavares, there you go. Even in beating Brad Tavares, um, he does have to get a big fight under his belt. But here's the issue. All of the guys within the top five— have all mostly fought each other. And I don't think they're going to campaign to fight a young guy like that who's coming up who could potentially steal their opportunity to get back to the title. The only way I see this fight going is Well, the only way that I see Jared and Edmund fighting is if Jared puts himself in the position that he was in when he fought Jack Hermanson. Because when he fought Jack Hermanson, Jack Hermanson was literally en route to a title fight. In his next victory, if he beat Jared Cannonier, it was definitely for certain he was going to fight for the belt. And and the funny thing is, is that's how Jocker Manson got into title contention after beating Jacare Souza, the number one contender. After he beat him, he propelled himself. So that's kind of the situation. But that's the beauty of the UFC. We have so many talented guys that they don't have to fight 8, 7, 6, and 5 they could just kind of go right up to three because the UFC's banking on them to win. So you see this almost as like a rite of passage
0: in that division of, like, give a guy a shot, you know, who maybe you don't know if he has necessarily earned that level yet, but, like, give the guy a shot and, and see what happens. Because clearly it, there's, like, a track record for this happening and these guys taking advantage of that opportunity.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was like even when uh, Israel had fought Anderson, like, Anderson wasn't in – like, title contention talks or anything like that, but he was still ranked in the middleweight division, and Israel wasn't as high-ranked as him. And when they fought, like, that propelled Israel to immediately get a shot, not because of the fact that, oh, well, they're banking on him to become a champion, but it was because of his performance. And I feel like in a fight between Kananier versus Till, Versus a fight like Cannonier versus Edmund, I think Edmund will be the, the one to shine a little more because he's a legitimate middleweight. And mm. he has a lot more tools um, to be a dangerous opponent for Jared Cannonier. Jared Cannonier is an excellent fighter. Great take down the fence. He's got vicious one-punch knockout power. And, you know, as, the, as does uh, Darren Till. But Edmund Shabazian not only has good striking, he has knockout power. He has excellent grappling. He's young, he's fast, and he has the physical upside because he's like 6'3". He's got long arms. I mean, the sky's the limit for the kid. So, at the end of the day, um, either of those fights would look good for me, but I think the biggest risk would be against Edmund. So, I think they'll probably make Darren Till because that will probably make more sense for Jared.
0: And Darren Till has a little bit more like name value and name recognition to to the average fan like because he's been around a little longer he's been in i mean obviously his name is out there even just from losing a fight to to masvidal you know like people know who he is even just because of that so i think it would make sense to to make that fight but it would be really cool to see a guy like shabazi and get like get a shot like that you know similar similar to the other ones you described uh two Usada related stories. Uh one Jessica Penne, nice Italian name named named after uh a form of pasta, forced to retire yeah. following uh a Usada investigation, Anthony Pettis allegedly suing uh suing them for a cut he sustained during testing prior to the Nate Diaz fight. Uh so what do you make of these two stories? Uh and
1: Are you like a pro or anti-USADA guy? I am anti-USADA, 100%. I understand why they have them in place because you do have cheaters like TJ Dillashaw. And um, it really sucks when you have that in the sport where fighters, there are a lot of fighters who fight clean. Some of them cut weight and it's hard for them because they don't have the IV anymore. Some of them have to be forced to fight up a weight class because they can't handle the weight cut so they give up a lot of size and strength and for a guy to just kind of go in there and be able to just cheat it really sucks but then you have the story of fighters who are clean but still get pinned for stuff even when if it, if it was a tainted sub, uh, supplement excuse me yeah, are you, are you including even including if Jessica it was Penne in that group yeah because let, let's face it i i I, I don't know Jessica Penney personally, but after watching her career, you could tell that she has never cheated. And um, I could I honestly do believe the sincerity when she said that she had never cheated and that it was a tainted supplement. And listen, she went to the labs to get the stuff tested. If she really was a cheater, she would have tried to avoid the situation right. <laughs> and just deny all allegations because that's what any fighter would do. That's what TJ Dillashaw tried to do until they were like, uh-uh, we got you we got all the evidence we need so it's an embarrassing thing for fighters because now fans can't trust them and a lot of people don't see that aspect of the sport because once you're labeled a cheat people are always going to see you as that and they're not going to want to root for you because they're like oh well maybe he found a way to dope in this comeback fight because that's what's going to happen with tj dillashaw but you know the sad thing about it is that you know, when Jessica Penne said they, they put her on the sidelines for four years, you know, that really that really hurt to hear because she said it. I don't have enough time to come back to the sport after something like that. And it sucks because Jessica Penne, even though she had some tough fights against some of the best in the strawweight division, she's still a solid opponent and, and she's still a solid fighter. And I, I think that, you know, this whole USADA thing really ruined her career. And I think it's messed up because – there's just some fighters who don't have other options, you know, long term. And USADA needs to understand that. And they ruined her career, essentially. And, you know, they also, you know, the way they messed up with Anthony Pettis was also bad. And I think he's taking the right action. But I think if they had another type of doping agency that was a little more understanding of what the fighters go through, maybe a doping agency that's run by fighters, or former fighters or former um, referees or anything like that, I think that would be better because we need to have these fighters in an environment where they can trust, you know, who they're getting drug tested by because this is the highest level of competition. You know, I love one championship. I love Bellator. I, I love Risen and all of those promotions, PFL. But let's face it, the UFC has the highest level of, you know, fighters, and their athletes are the best in the world. And for USADA to continuously screw up because they've screwed up over the last three or four years really badly, I just think that the UFC has to move on and find another doping agency that's more suitable for the fighters, more fighter-friendly, you know? It, you know, it was like an incident not too long ago where Usada was testing uh, Sean Brady, our local Philly fighter, and people were already setting up allegations that the reason why he didn't have a fight book was because he got caught doping, which is untrue. But that's the kind of nature and the kind of atmosphere that has brought been brought about by Usada, and I just don't think it's good for the um, the fighters because fans are like, oh. Another drug cheat, you know? I'm not watching him fight, and now people are losing fans. People are losing money, and that's just not good. I I don't agree with it at all, but I digress. Right, and, like, this is a
0: woman who, like, lost her career over it, but then you have someone like – now, one, like you said, the hoops that she seemed to have jumped through to make sure she was doing things clean, and it didn't matter, but then you have someone like John Jones who has been known to cheat multiple times – that has not i don't feel like he really has suffered the consequences for what he's done like i feel like yeah has he had a suspension here and there sure but i don't feel like his career has really suffered for the things that he that he got caught doing uh and i don't feel like the ufc has really cared enough about the things that he did and to me that double standard like that alone is enough for me to say like this this is meaningless to me not to mention Uh, I've been on record on the uh, Your Boy Elroy podcast with a question I asked pretty early on in your run. I think it was a pretty controversial question I asked you guys as a listener question, but I think that what I said was basically I don't think any of this stuff should be illegal. Everyone should be allowed to take whatever they want. It's the only way to really level the playing field. And basically you're all all doing the same thing. It's like it was in baseball years ago. Like if everybody was on the same stuff – Nobody's getting an unfair advantage, whereas now you still have people finding these ways to cut corners. But, yeah, I think that if if you have to legislate performance enhancers, you should find one that is more suitable for the sport than, than what's in place now. I, I couldn't agree with you more about that.
1: Yeah, and the thing is, like, look – I understand the, the the narrative that steroids brings. I understand um, what kind of energy that that would bring into a conversation when it comes to a fighter's legacy. But here's the reality of it: even if a guy cheats, you could still get knocked out in a fight, and the steroids would mean nothing. You know, um, and that's kind of the part that people don't understand. Like, yes, it gives you a physical advantage. Yes. It will help you cut weight um, to get to lower weight classes so you can have a more physical advantage. But it doesn't matter at the end of the day because guys are still going in there and getting pieced up by dudes (laughs) who are way skinnier and, and a lot less stronger than them. And guess what? That has nothing to do with steroids. It has everything to do with pure skill and If it comes down to a fighter going in there and he feels the need to take steroids and you lose, that's not the reason. You know, I just think that it is an unfair advantage when it comes to the weight cutting, because the idea of weight cutting already to me is very like it just doesn't sit well with me. I don't like the idea of weight cuts. I just like the idea of natural weight cutting. Where you can lose weight five or six pounds to get into shape, 10, or maybe 10 if you have to, and get into the shape, but not have to risk like your kidneys failing on you. So I just feel like that's where the whole idea of leveling the play field um, makes sense, because it, for example, George Mosvedal, it's pretty clear that he could make 155. But like he said, after a couple of years of continuously cutting weight, his kidneys were failing, and he couldn't breathe that well, and he couldn't take a punch. And because he couldn't take a punch, he couldn't knock people out because he didn't have the kind of energy that he has now. And that's an obvious thing. So why not just, instead of you know trying to catch these guys for doping, just create a better weight-cutting system so that way it's fair for everyone? Yeah, you might have some guys like Johnny Hendricks fighting at 185, that kind of body type, but if he doesn't have to sacrifice all that's you know all that uh that size because he's fighting a dude who's a natural one eighty er and not somebody who's coming down from two hundred and thirty pounds that's that's a more obvious like um what's the word I'm looking for that makes more sense basically. Because of the the lack of physical advantages now, the guy might be taller, but now that doesn't mean anything because he didn't have to cut that much weight to come down, and you didn't have to cut that that much weight to come down. But this whole doping stuff is it's insane, man. Yeah,
0: and to me, I, like I don't think these stories are going to go away anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, so, Kamara Usman uh, apparently does not want to fight Masvidal. Uh, says he hasn't, hasn't earned it, doesn't deserve it, hasn't beaten anyone that is ranked within the top six, or so I believe is what he said. Why the hell would you not want to fight this guy? Like, outside of a Conor McGregor fight, this is the biggest payday you're going to get. Like, what is wrong with you that you would not fight this guy other than the fact that you just are afraid he, you're going to lose to him? Why, can you think of any legitimate reason why you wouldn't want to fight this guy?
1: The implications. Well, let me not even go there. I'll say I'll just be plain about it. I'll be okay. very blunt. One, there's so much to lose for Kamaro Usman if he loses in this fight. That's obvious. I mean, and everybody pretty much knows that he has a small window of opportunity. And this is the funny thing because back in the old days, wrestlers were seen as the most dominant fighters in in any form of cage fighting. Because they were able to get you to the ground and control the pace of the fight. If they understood submissions, it was even scarier because now the jiu-jitsu guys are getting punched in the face. They're getting opened up. All these cuts and scars and he- and you know hematomas and all that. They're not going to be able to lock at a triangle when their face is just busted. But here's the thing. If Kamaru can't do that to him... He's going to get brutally destroyed on the feet. And the thing is that Masvidal has really good wrestling. That's clear. Like, it's been shown. He's fought, guys. His first fight back at 170 in the UFC, he fought Cesar Ferreira, who's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Now, he was coming up from 155, and guess what? Cesar was coming down from 185. And you could clearly see the whole... The whole size advantage that Cesar had. I mean, we're talking literally, it looked like when you're playing the UFC 3 game (laughs) and you put an (laughs) open weight match and you put two guys, a lightweight and light heavyweight. Like, that's how crazy it was. Yeah, two guys who look look like they're from different weight classes fighting in the same Yeah. Legitimately, that was one of the biggest, like, real moments where people were like, damn, like, Masvidal is really small. And he knocked Cesar Ferreira out. That's the kind of power that Masvidal has. He can put somebody nearly twice his size down with one shot if he really wanted to. And Kamaru knows that that's a huge risk for him. But the other risk that that falls into this is that when he loses to Masvidal, (laughs) he has to go back to the grind again, right? And the only reason he's saying Masvidal doesn't deserve it is because he thinks that if he loses— he's not going to deserve a rematch because it's obvious that he's going to end up fighting Masvidal at some point and probably get violently hurt in that fight, like as mostly everybody has in the last few fights against him. And, you know, I just think that that's one thing that kind of scares him. Because if he puts on the kind of performance that he had against Kobe Covington, he will for sure probably end up dying in that cage because there's nobody— who would be stupid enough to try to stand with Masvidal other than somebody like Conor McGregor. (laughs) And there's a lot of fighters who now understand, like, this guy's the real deal. He's not to be played with. He has the best boxing in MMA today. There's nobody who can match him in the feet. So, yeah, it's, it's just funny, but he cannot run from Masvidal. Once Masvidal gets that big money fight, He's coming for Camaro, and there's nothing he can do. The only thing that Camaro can hope for is that he loses to Leon Edwards, and Leon Edwards will have to take that beating in place of him. So we'll see. That's the beauty of MMA. The welterweight division is right now, in my opinion, one of the most stacked divisions. And and at any moment, any fighter can surge like this. But I just think that if Masvidal wins that belt, I think he's going to be there a long time.
0: Yeah, like I know you said— A few weeks ago, uh, you think that 2020 will be the year of like the dominant champion again. I think that might have been the yeah. show before the award show, uh, and and I could see that. I know you said on the award show you think like Adesanya may be that dominant champion that holds onto the belt for a really long time. I know you said if Jorge ever gets his hands on that belt, you think he could be holding on to it for a long time. You may have even said like he'll go down as one of the greatest welterweights of all time. I
1: think you may have said that. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it's definitely going to happen, because if you think about it, there's guys who are going to want to fight him, right? And right now, you think about it, all eyes are on Masvidal and Kamar Uzman and Kobe Covington. All these fighters that are inside of the top 10 or inside of the top 15 are doing their homework now. Because now they know that every fight they take is crucial. You know, like, it takes one guy to brutally knock one of the other guys out. And then they're like, Man, this guy's good. Let's give him someone a little tougher. He brutally knocks out someone else. And then they're like, you know what? Let's give him a top fifteen. Let's knock hit and and then he knocks him out and so on and so forth until they say, you know what? This guy's ranked number ten. Let's give him number four. He wins this fight, we'll put him in the top five. Like, that's how it goes now. Like, and now we have so many fighters that are so dangerous, so well rounded that At any moment, somebody can just steal a knockout victory in the first round against a legitimate opponent and be in talks for title contention. It doesn't take much anymore. If you look at if you look at the the timeline of fighters that are coming into the UFC, these guys are going pro maybe two years or a year and a half before that, and they're touching the UFC octagon. Before it wasn't like that. You had to fight maybe five or six years, fight on legitimate promotions, and then the UFC starts to take notice once they've seen you on T V and how well you perform, you know. And now it's just like, nope, six fights, Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, you knock your man out, and you're in the UFC. And I just think that with that, we're going to end up seeing a lot of fighters who are going to be too good to lose their belt. You know, and one will definitely be Israel, one will be Masvidal, and who knows, you know, maybe – down the line we'll see champions like Edmund Shabazian when he's in his prime of his career and maybe Israel retires, you know. That but that's the beauty of the sport. That there's so much talent and I just love it, you know. You know, and I think twenty twenty we're gonna see a lot of young guys come out.
0: Yeah, and like to to your point, first of all, like if you are a champion in the UFC, I feel like you should believe that you can beat anyone. Um Especially if you talk about how you could beat anyone, which to me means you should fight anyone. And if you're in this business, you should be in this business for two reasons, to be a champion and to make the most money you can. And Usman has become a champion, so why the hell are you not trying to get the biggest payday you can get? Like, I guess it's maybe self-preservation. Maybe he has a chip on his shoulder that, like, I've accomplished all this. And all this guy has done is just make a name for himself, but he didn't accomplish on paper what I did by beating the guys I beat by becoming the 170-pound champion. I don't know if it's like resentment, but also... Like, tomorrow, since when do you have to, like, earn your way all the way up the ladder? The way to earn your way up to the ladder is to become a household name. And then Dana will put you in the biggest spot he can because he can sell you. That's what this is all about. Like, we've seen it in every
1: division. We've seen it for years. That's what matters. Yeah, and, and you know, coming on to that point, like, it's the same thing in music. You see so many guys who are so talented in one instrument that they want to start campaigning for the biggest companies <laughs> to give them an endorsement deal. And it's like that's not how it works. You have to be a lucrative part of the business. You have to sell numbers. And if you can't do that, why would I bother putting your face on my brand if you're not going to help me sell for my brand. And it's the same thing. Why would Dana give you attention that you don't deserve? Because let's face it, the win streak is incredible. The perennial win streak is great. When there's a fighter that can be so dominant that he can go in there and beat everybody, well, he can win, not dominate. Because Camaro's never truly dominated anybody. But, you know, it's it's something that has to be respected, right? And I get the idea of, well, Dana, you can't deny me anymore, I just right. be your best guys. <laughs> but it's not exciting fights. And even though we're in a stage right now where there are a lot of UFC and MMA fight fans who are very knowledgeable in the sport of MMA and in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and in Muay Thai, they're still the majority of the fans are still people who are getting drunk. At Buffalo Wild Wings <laughs> and who are like, $10 for a UFC event to watch people knock each other's heads off? Yeah, let's do it. Right. Let me get another round of beer. You know, like that's still the fans. When you look in the stands, you see people either from other countries who are like, yeah, we're rooting for our fighter. Or, you know, some white guys who are, are really pissed black drunk and, and they're just like, <laughs> damn, like this is fun. I don't know what's happening in there, but the environment is great, the atmosphere is awesome. And that's the that's the those are the fans that George Masvedal and Conor McGregor, those are the fans that they are targeting. They're targeting people who want to see blood and they want to see people get their heads bounced off the canvas. I'm not for it, you know, but it's entertainment and it's entertaining. To watch two guys really duke it out, or watch one guy, who they were like really building up, and then somehow the younger guy just goes ping and puts them to sleep. <laughs> like that's what the fans want to see. And it's if Kamara really wants to do that, then he start he has to start leaning towards the kind of performance that you know he had against Colby. He didn't shoot for neither of them shot for the takedown, and it made for a great fight. But if he wants to do that, he's going to have to start putting on performances performances like that. And the first moment for him to—the opportunity he has in 2020 is to do that in his first title—well, his second title defense. If he doesn't put on a performance like that, nobody's going to take him seriously. Right. Because right now what it looks like is Camaro is going to be fed to the wolf, which is George Masvidal. So— if he really wants to create some buzz for his career and be seen as a real champ, he's going to have to put somebody down. Yeah. He has
0: to start making a name for himself. Like as a guy, people want to see like Masvidal has done that. People want to see him. Usman, like title around your waist or not. Like you have to do something to make people want to see you. And the only way people want to see you at this point is against Masvidal. Uh, and the last piece of news that that prep uh, sent over to me, uh, and I don't have a lot of thoughts on it, uh, but I'm curious what you think. Uh, the whole thing with Marlon Marias and Henry Cejudo and Jose Aldo, like, I what, what are your thoughts on this whole thing?
1: Um, it's silly. It's silly, and it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Um, not one of those three guys can defeat Peter Jan. Or Corey Sandhagen and um or Algermaine Sterling because Algermaine has looked excellent in his last few fights and I think his striking has finally caught up with his grappling, which is very scary because <laughs> that young man is an excellent grappler. And um yeah, I don't really care who keeps that belt or who campaigns for the fight. Marlon won't beat Algermaine in a rematch. Marlon won't beat Peter Yan in a three round or a five round fight. And uh, none of them will most likely beat Corey Sanhagen because he's just too good. (laughs) So at the end of the day, there's really only three guys that matter at Bantamweight right now.
0: And you're saying it's none of these three. No,
1: it's definitely not. These guys are on, and I'm sorry to say it, but these guys are on their way out. And, um, yeah, the real 135 guys who are going to be a real, like, long-time threat is going to be Peter Jan, Jermaine Sterling and Corey Sanhagen and um that's the only news I want to hear about <laughs> because listen I've always been a fit I've always been a fan of Aldo and Marlon but Aldo fighting at 135 long term definitely not going to stick Marlon Moraes as far as his title dreams he's going to have to do a lot to get back to that um because let's let's just be honest his performance against Aldo was piss poor he did lose that fight, and Aldo didn't look that great. Hudo, I don't even care about him because he doesn't look good at 135. He got lucky with Marlon because Marlon, you know, built up a lot of lactic acid in his arms. He he gassed out, you know. But um, Cachudo fighting any of the guys that I named that are important, he'll probably get sent to the hospital like, five minutes after he gets knocked out or choked out. So it, there's just no point in even, you know, uh, giving this energy because <laughs> I don't, I really don't care for any of these guys.
0: Fair enough. And for me, Henry is way too corny. Like, he, th- that promo he shot by the pool a few weeks ago, to me, should have had uh, his title stripped. Like, he should be done yeah. as a champion in UFC after that performance. Uh, fight announcements. Uh, a few were sent over to me. Uh, we have Kevin Lee versus Charles Oliveira, uh, the, the Venezuelan Vixen, Juliana Pena versus Aspen Ladd, Arnold Allen versus Nick Lentz, Eric Spicely versus, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but Punahele Soriano. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. you said it right. All right. Mighty Mouse versus Adriano Marias. So, a few of these guys and girls I know, uh... Kevin Lee, I've been a big fan of for a long time because I think he's got this level of like charisma and personality, I love the idea that he's like this kid from Detroit that I think he could like appeal to a certain like younger type of fan that maybe does not see themselves always reflected in MMA. And I think Kevin Lee can appeal to kids like that next generation of fighter to come up. And I think he's a really talented guy, uh, and he really humanized himself after I don't remember which loss it was. Uh, was it Tony? Who was who did he fight that he got crushed by?
1: Uh Rafael Dos Anjos okay, at 170 yeah. pounds.
0: He, like, really humanized himself in his interview that he did afterwards talking about, like, the like the, the turn that his life had taken. Uh, Juliana Pena, one of my favorites. I've loved her since I saw her on The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, Nick Lentz, I really only know because he does that poetry and he was supposed to have a fight with BJ Penn a few years ago. Uh... And Mighty Mouse, obviously, I know because he's one of the greatest fighters, you know, in the history of the sport. What are your thoughts on some of these matchups that have been announced? And, like,
1: what are you looking forward to the most out of this group of fights? Well, you know, um, the good thing about this Kevin Lee fight with Charles Oliveira is that I really respect Kevin Lee for taking this fight. Um, Charles Oliveira has looked really great and really violent in his last few fights. I mean, he's been basically finishing everybody. And um, now he has an opportunity to kind of crack that top 15 or even the top 10, depending on how well his performance is against Kevin Lee. I mean, listen, Charles Oliveira has a lot. A lot to be afraid of I mean the the two things that I respect about Kevin Lee one being the fact that he'll take any fight and two being that he's incredibly skilled I mean people don't give him credit for his striking but this kid has good striking and he's got excellent grappling great submissions I mean you know other than the fact that he had staff you know in his fight against Tony it was pretty clear that he was winning um that fight in the early rounds it didn't seem like it to a lot of people but he got Tony down he took him down he Past the guard, he got to full mount, and he did well with his grounded pound. I mean, listen, not a lot of people were able to do that to Tony Ferguson. There were guys who hurt Tony. There were guys who probably pushed the pace for a couple of minutes, but nobody was able to take Tony down and truly impose their will on him, and that's something that I feel um, doesn't get enough um, recognition, and um, I think in this fight, If Kevin Lee really wants to campaign for another shot at the lightweight bill, which I believe he really can get and maybe two more fights. Um I think he's going to have to put on a dominant performance against Charles Oliveira. If Oliveira beats Kevin Lee though, man, that is going to propel him very far in the lightweight division and I think that um this is just going to make for one of those fight of the night type fights. So I'm really excited. This is another fan-friendly fight. Um moving into the Juliana Peña versus Aspen Ladd fight. This is one of those uh, this is one of those uh, title contention fights in my opinion. After Aspen Ladd um, beat Yana Kunitskaya, it was pretty clear that she was like, listen, I I had a brief, you know, mishap against Jermaine Durandipi, but I'm here to stay and I'm here to become champion. And now with Juliana Pena, you know, going in there and fighting uh, Nico Montano and beating her, a former champion, you know. This is just uh this is just an opportunity for both of them to truly put their stake in 135 especially with what's been going on at 135 with the with Amanda Nunes. So I'm really looking forward to this fight and I think that it's going to be a great grappling exchange. You know, this is something that That I personally enjoy when I look at UFC fights, you know. Um, It's just like the fight coming up with Damian Maya and um, Gilbert Burns. Like, I love that fight. (laughs) It's just going to be an excellent grappling exchange. I loved um, Damian Maya versus Ben Askren, so it's going to be good. Um, Arnold Allen. Arnold Allen, he's one of my favorites at 145. Um, This kid started training at TriStar. And uh, there's just been kind of this theme that's been happening in the last two years where some fighters have gone to TriStar and their entire style has changed, but for the better. And they become better for it. For Asahabi, and I've said this how many times on the podcast, (laughs) for Asahabi, not only is my favorite coach, but he's the true mastermind um, as far as being the best MMA head coach of all time. And um, I think that he just changes fighters' mindsets and makes them believe that they can beat anybody in the world, and he gives them the tools to do that, just like he did with Kevin Lee. And I think that in this case, I think that Arnold Island's going to shine against Nick Lentz. It's a great fight for him. Nick Lentz is a, is a veteran of the sport, still winning and doing really well. So I want to see... What he's going to do against somebody who's not going to back down and not just going to get hit and not try to swing back or, you know what I mean, try to push the pace. I, I, I'm i liking this fight for Arnold Allen, and this is his opportunity to finally make a claim at featherweight.
0: Yeah, well, Yeah, that's an exciting—it's always exciting when you can kind of see somebody start to become somebody. Like obviously, we mm-hmm. see all these guys on you know preliminary cards and undercards, but when you could see a guy start to become somebody, that's always fun to, to watch that develop. Exactly,
1: and and uh, I guess well, not I guess this is a huge fight, <laughs> but to touch on the Mighty Mouse versus Adriano Moraes uh, fight, um, this fight's only going to go one way, in my opinion. Um, this fight is going to go the same way. Um, The Mighty Mouse versus uh, Wilson Hayes fight went. Um, Wilson Hayes is obviously a Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion. I think he's like a fourth or fifth degree black belt. And obviously, he was very deserving of that title fight. But um, DJ is just a different animal when it comes to MMA. You would think, oh, well, DJ is going to stand and strike with Hilson because Hilson is obviously a very high level black belt and if he makes one mistake he's going to get submitted that did not happen that <laughs> fight. Not only did Demetrius beat him up on the feet, but he took him down. He passed his guard. He submitted he, well, he asserted his dominance as the top man and, and really started damaging him with vicious, vicious ground and pound. And when he saw the opportunity, he got the arm bar in the finish. And that's exactly how this fight with uh, Moraes goes. I know a lot of people are probably assuming that Moraes has a chance to upset Demetrius Johnson, but Demetrius Johnson is just Too good for these guys and i love the sport of mma because sometimes you just see the best of the best and they're able to just transcend whatever doubts anybody has about them you know people thought that dj was going to be too small for the guys that won and every fight since he's been in there he's fought guys way bigger than him and possibly stronger and he's delivered on what he said he was going to do which was be the best of all time the greatest of all time and win a belt At one championship. And I think he's going to do that when he fights Adriano Moraes. Adriano Moraes is a formidable opponent. But I just don't think he has the tools to defeat Demetrius Johnson in a five-round fight. Demetrius Johnson defended his UFC championship 12 times. You know, breaking Anderson Silva's record. And you just can't, you know, overlook that. You know, he's been in danger in his last few fights. And he's overcome the obstacles. So, I'm really rooting for Mighty Mouse on becoming the new um flyway champion at one
0: yeah and, and just bringing up mighty mouse to remind it was a question i think i meant to ask uh last week uh, or no i meant to ask it two weeks ago and then i ended up being on the show and i f- completely forgot about it but so <laughs> I'll, I'll have this one queued up for your show next week when prep comes back but uh basically i want to know how do you guys define like Pound for pound, whether it is like just the, the level of dominance you have over your particular weight class or if you were to take weight out of it and just assume like skill for skill, talent for talent, who's better, like who comes out on top. And I'm looking forward to, to hearing your your guys' take on it next week. Hopefully I don't forget it next week, though. Uh, I'll have to write a note for myself when we finish recording. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but before we get to UFC 246, the last thing I wanted to touch on, because I know you guys talked about it on last week's show, was one championship, Rod Tang, Haggerty 2. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity now to, to say whatever it is you'd like to say about, about that fight
1: and that, that event. Oh, well, I mean, uh, Stamp looked uh, Stamp Fairtex looked great in her fight. She dominated uh, Pooja Tamar, and uh, she did really well. And like she said, there are four more fights, and I'll be fighting Angela Lee for the belt. And uh, listen, I think that we really very well may see the first real three-combat sport champion ever. And I think Stamp Fair can do it. I really love Angela Lee. She's an excellent grappler, just a great fighter, a really fan friendly fighter. But, um, you know, if Stamp can get to that place where her grappling is good enough to, like, defend takedowns or at least survive on the ground and impose her will on the feet, then I think that she's definitely, you know, has a bigger chance of defeating Angela than Angela has at beating her. Um, but aside from that, Rod Tang literally, just like the note says, destroyed Jonathan Haggerty. (laughs) And you know what? I mean, i got to give hats off to Jonathan Haggerty because he really did try his best. But Rod Tang is a different animal. And unfortunately, um, Rod Tang gets better every fight. You could see it. He knew that in the first fight he wasn't aggressive enough. He was feeling um, Haggerty out, and he kind of just wanted to see what he was going to do, see what Haggerty was going to throw at him. And even though he had won the belt, He knew that Haggerty was going to come back even stronger. But Rod Tang did what he does best. He went back to the drawing board. He's a really aggressive, not only an aggressive uh, kicker, but he's also an aggressive um, boxer as well. I mean, his style is Muay Thai, but his hands are very heavy, and he knows where to put them, you know, especially that famous liver shot that he throws. I mean, listen, he sends guys to the hospital with that left hook to the liver. And you know what? Um, it was only a matter of time before Haggerty was going to take an effect with those shots so I just think it was a wonderful performance and I can't wait to see him perform again.
0: Yeah, so one championship, this is probably, I'm like really rooting for that promotion, I want to see them be successful and continue to grow and become like a legitimate like worldwide promotion where they're, you know, where they could be kind of on the level with UFC definitely a promotion I need to, to pay more attention to and I need to start investing more time in you know I know Angela Lee I know Christian Lee I know a few of the of the fighters they have under contract but I've never sat down and watched an entire uh, one card and I just haven't kept up on it enough so maybe that's that's like one of my MMA New Year's resolutions is to like invest more of
1: my time and energy into one championship. Well, hey, the beauty of one championship is that uh, all of their biggest fights are on Bleacher Report, and you can watch (laughs) them for free as long as you log in and sign up. I mean, that's what I do. I signed in via Facebook, and I just watch all the events there. Um but yeah, I mean I, I love one and once they finally submerge themselves into the United States market, um, they're gonna be huge. And I and I can't wait to see that. You know, they have so many great fighters there. And um there was another fighter that that I almost forgot to bring up, uh Tom Lee. Um, He is an American Vietnamese fighter who fights there. And right now he is campaigning to get a shot at Martin Nguyen for the one featherweight belt. And this kid is really talented. So, you know, it's guys like that that they have to push in the U.S. market to actually make some really lucrative pay-per-views happen and really lucrative cards happen. So that way they can finally be on the level of the UFC in America because they've already conquered Asia. So I can't wait to see that. And uh, I think 2020 might be the year that they do it.
0: Yeah, and it's one of the things that I'm, like, very appreciative of the Urboy Elroy podcast for because even though, like I said, I don't watch the events, I have not put as much time into it, you guys at least keep me aware of what's going on there. So it's like it never really escapes my mind because every week, pretty much, you guys make some mention of it, and I'm aware of something that's happening. So so thank you to you and Prep uh, for that. Uh, are you ready to talk a little bit about UFC 246? Absolutely. All right, so we might as well just kick it off with the main event. Uh, Like I said to you before we started recording, I don't have a ton of knowledge on this whole card. I will talk about what I know I can talk about and kind of leave the rest to you a little bit. So we'll start with the main event because, obviously, I'm I'm well-versed enough to know Conor McGregor and Donald Cerrone I think this fight is exciting for a variety of reasons. I think this is a fight that even when Connor was at his height, I feel like Cerrone is a guy that people, like when we talked about who could be, be the guy to knock off Connor feel like Donald Cerrone was one of those guys on the short list of like, this could be one of those guys. Because he's so well-rounded, he's so durable, he's so tough, he has so many ways that he could beat you. He could beat you by decision, he could finish you on the feet, he could finish you on the ground. And I think it always posed an interesting matchup for Conor. Um, I think also, uh, and... I talked. Uh, I brought up GSP in my in my listener question for you guys last week. The idea that like as much as we talk about the evolution of MMA, I feel like GSP is still like the evolution hasn't caught up to where GSP was yet. And part of that is GSP was the guy who was the first one when he beat uh, BJ Penn in their second fight, and he did his interview with Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan asked him about the game plan, and he basically said, you know, BJ's a smaller guy, he has small shoulders, we wanted to make him carry my weight so that, like, his punches wouldn't be as effective, his shoulders would fill up with lactic acid, he wouldn't be able to get off that left hook. And I was like, what are you talking about? It was like the first time I heard anyone talk, like, with that level of detail. I was like, wow, this guy's like a whole different thing. And I was like a GSP hater. And... Even after that, I still was, but like at that moment, I was like, whoa, I have to respect that this guy is like a whole different animal from the entire rest of the sport. And then over time, I could not help but respect him more and more for like the level of work, the level of planning, the attention to detail that him and his coaches and his camps put in. Like he was doing things no one else even thought of. And. I look at Connor as like, he's not maybe on that level like that TriStar was and all that, but I feel like they have such a plan for him. Like, they know every movement, like what every movement means. Like, I feel like every, every, uh, like hesitation, every feint, every, everything he does in the octagon is planned, is prepared for. Uh, and I can relate that back to GSP, like where they are. Their preparedness is something special. We even talked about the Eddie Alvarez fight. Like a lot of times someone might, you know, you just catch a guy and it changes the whole course of a fight. There is nothing with Conor McGregor that's like, oh, he just happened to catch this guy. Everything he lands was like meant to happen. Like we prepared for this to happen in this way. I'm going to throw this punch at this time when he makes this movement and it's going to land at this part of his face. And they managed to do it. So I look at at Conor as like maybe not the next step in that evolution but he's one of those guys that's on that level of preparedness. And that's why I think like a lot of people are counting Conor out because of the layoff, because he didn't have a great performance against Khabib, some people think it's because of all the money he made, he's not the same guy, but it's like I feel like this is a guy who kind of got back to his roots of being the most prepared guy stepping into the octagon and I believe we'll see that play out. Uh, on Saturday, whether that means he wins or not, I don't know, but I think he's going to be one hundred percent prepared. He knows what he has to do in there and he's gonna be able to to do what he has to do and then just hope it's enough to beat Donald uh, How do you feel about this fight? I, th- I feel like you're kind of leaning more in the in the in the direction of Cerrone than I am um,
1: the only reason I'm doing that is just because I feel that um. Cerrone has nothing to lose. Um, If you look at the projection of his career already, he fought the best at lightweight. He fought Tony. He lost. Um, It sucked because it was a bit controversial, but it's pretty clear to everybody that after the first round, he was getting decimated by Tony, and there was really nothing he could do about it. You know, he did his best, and, and there was just nothing he could do. like And the thing is that, like, even at 170, he's not going to be able to go five rounds with guys like, uh, you know, Kamar Usman or Kobe Covington or even Tyron Woodley. So, really, this is just a fight for Cerrone to make some money, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, this is a big fight an honor sure. to kind of say— Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, he's the, one of the most winningest um, guys in the UFC. Um, he has the most finishes, most knockouts, and I know they've been pushing that as a real like selling point for this fight, but um, at the end of the day, like you know, Donald deserves this. You know, he never really got a chance to touch that that gold. So for him to at least touch the green, at least that counts for something. <laughs> he got you know? one of the colors that you want. <laughs> yeah, he, he got one of the colors, and at least he could be one of the guys, like, you know, when he's a grandpa, he can be like, hey, well, I fought, Connor. You know, yeah. that, that's something for, for him to be proud of. And if he wins, that could push him into a, another direction. I mean, Cerrone's not done. But, you know, whether he wins or loses, you know, it, you know, the the leaning of who wins and how important that is really goes more towards Connor than anything, because if Connor wins, technically, that's going to push him back into the contender spot where he can fight anybody and get a title shot. And it sucks that it's like that. But, you know, I just feel like Cerrone's got what it takes. Um, one of the biggest issues that a lot of people are obviously overlooking is, you know, Cerrone's size. And listen, it's not just height. He's a big dude. How is Connor going to fare against somebody who can literally push him back on the cage and just dominate him in the clinch? You know, can he stop him from doing that? Can he dominate Cerrone in the clinch? We don't know, but I just feel like if he doesn't do what he has to do in this fight— um, to win, I think Cerrone's just going to pull out a decision or probably submit him. So, um, all in all, I think it's just an exciting bout because we get to see either Connor in trouble and overcoming adversity, Cerrone winning, or an all out brawl on the feet. And I think everybody, whether we want Cerrone or, or Connor to win, everybody really wants to just see a hell of a fight. Where these two throw it all out on the line. Um, And if Connor doesn't do that, and if Cerrone doesn't do that, if Cerrone takes him down, like, you can't be mad at them because they're fighters. And at the end of the day, they have a game plan. Instinct might take over at some point, but everybody just wants to win. And you can't take that away from a fighter, you know, especially in such a dangerous fight like this. So, either way, um, I will pick Cerrone as the winner, but. You know, like I said, if Conor wins, it is what it is. You know, as long as it's a great fight, that's all I care about. That's the only reason I'm watching the event, because I want to see great fights. And we do have some pretty great fights on this card. Yes.
0: Uh, Awesome. I am going to go with Conor for the reasons being one. I think a lot of that cloudiness in his head that he had for a couple years seems to be gone, which I think can only help. I think... And I, I think I think I even said this on the award show podcast. Like I think he's been slept on a lot recently. Like I think he's rededicated himself in a way that people have not realized yet. Um, yeah. And I think Cerrone. I don't expect Cerrone to go out there to, like, quote unquote, go out there to like win the fight. There probably are things he could do to like use some of his physical advantages to help him win the fight, but I think he's gonna go out there and like you said, try to put on a show with Connor. Yeah. And I think that benefits Connor because I in, in that instance I feel like Connor's footwork, his positioning, his ability to control distance, uh, his like quickness, his precision are going to be enough to win the fight, especially because I do wonder a little bit, and tell me if you agree or disagree with this, I wonder if Cerrone has gotten to that point in his career that guys get to where their chin is not the same as it used to be. And we've seen uh, Cerrone get rocked in his last two fights. And I don't know that we won't see Connor do the same thing. Like, Do do you agree or disagree with that, that, that Cerrone just might be at that point in his career where he can't withstand... The shots that he used to be able to.
1: Yeah, and no, honestly, like, uh, and if he can't, he has George Mosvadol to uh, thank for that. Right. So, I mean, it, it's tough because that could very well be a huge factor. And he said it himself. He said, Listen, why wouldn't I stand with one of the best? Well, he knows the risk. And listen, if by some chance that Connor knocks him out with the first punch he hits him with, I mean, Cerrone understands that, you know what I mean, Uh, that's just part of the game, you know. The beauty of it is that Cerrone's lost before, so he knows that going into this fight, he can take risks. He can take a punch, and he's really confident in himself, Uh, and that's what I like about this fight. I mean, both guys understand the risks. But if they could just put on a performance where you get a standing ovation at the end, win or loss, like that's great. And the only thing I'm really looking forward to is is if fight if this fight goes to a decision and obviously one of them gets picked as the winner at least both of them can kind of hold their right. hands up high and give each other hugs and be like, hey, man, great fight. This was awesome. That's what I like to see in the sport of mixed martial arts in any combat sport. I like to see two guys after they duke it out truly show each other respect, not just as a martial artists, but as men, you know. Because it's not easy stepping in there. You know, it takes a really bad physical toll on your body to step in there and get kicked multiple times in your femur bone, in your calf muscles. It takes a lot to catch all the kicks to the knees, potentially tearing your ACL or MCL or LCL, your meniscus. It takes a lot to get punched in the face. It's not fun. It's not fun to nearly get your arm torn off or get choked out unconscious, mm-hmm. you know. But that's the beauty of it, man. Like these guys are going in there and putting it all out there, and and I can't wait to see, you know, the highest levels, you know, going against each other. Yeah, I'm
0: excited. And and to your, your what you said about respect, like we've definitely seen Conor show more respect to Cerrone, leading up to a fight than he's probably shown to anyone else. Like I can't remember him yeah. being this respectful to an opponent as he's been to Cerrone, which is kind of cool to see. Like I I like that he appreciates what Donald has done. I like that he made good on his word. Like I forget what fight it was that he talked about Cerrone, saying like I'll I'll fight that guy, um, and I'm happy that that Connor actually stepped up and is fighting him for a fight that's going to be pretty dangerous for him. Uh, but uh, Anthony Pettis versus Diego Fajeda. Uh, Pettis obviously been around for a long time, has had some wars, has had some exciting matchups. He had a really fun, you know, two round matchup with Nate Diaz not too long ago, uh, where I think Nate Diaz's yeah. size kind of got the best of him. Uh, Fajeda, I feel like he had, did he have a really good fight on, uh, the Khabib
1: Poirier card? Uh, yeah, he did. Um, I'm trying to remember the person's name, so I'm just going to take a quick look real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so his last fight was in Russia. I mean, I'm sorry, in uh, Abu, Abu Dhabi. Dhabi. He ended up fighting somebody from Dagestan. Uh, yeah, so it was Meribak Tysimov, and he won by unanimous decision. I remember the fight in brief stints. Um, he was really beating the guy on the feet. He did get a couple takedowns, but overall, he just kind of outclassed the guy. I think the guy, because he was from Dagestan and they were in Abu Dhabi, I think he was expecting a, like to win. And I think he just overlooked Diego, and Diego took advantage of that, which is great. And I think that if Anthony Pettis does the same thing, then Diego Ferreira could win um if not then you know uh diego's going to be in trouble i mean anthony pettis is a great fighter great grappling great striking um you know he's got the high flying techniques he's very unpredictable and he can knock you out with anything so um overall i just like this fight it's definitely a good main card matchup so uh, you know hats off to the ufc for putting that together i know a lot of people didn't think that this fight Made sense, but for a guy like Diego Ferreira who's been in the UFC for a while and is trying to make a name for himself, this is the perfect fight for him to fight uh, a fellow legend in the sport who's been in the sport for nearly 13 years and he gets to really shine in this fight if he wins and potentially call out a top 10. So, yeah, awesome.
0: Yeah, so it's going to be, I think, a really fun fight. Stylistically, I think it'll be a fun fight. It's always fun to watch Anthony Pettis fight. I mean, he's called Showtime for a reason. The only thing is, do you see a path for either one of these guys to ever end up in title contention at this point? Like, Fajeda, I think, is like 34 or 35 years old. Like we said, Pettis has been around a long time. Are these just guys who can be good fighters that can fill out a card? Or do you think there's any potential for them to be a little more than that
1: for either guy? Um. In order for, for like, Pettis to make a late run, I mean, he really has to be on his A-game. I just don't think he can beat the best guys in the world right now. I think... With all the damage he's taken in the last few fights, I think that took a toll on him. He took a lot of damage previously when he was a champion, like especially when he fought, you know, uh, Max Holloway and Rafael Dos Anjos. And you know, sometimes it, some guys just can't handle that kind of damage to their bodies, and that's okay. You know, it's not their fault. You know, it's like I said, it's not easy getting punched in the face. But um, you know, I don't think that these guys are going to be able to get to title contention. Um, if Diego Ferreira does, he's going to be half to. You know, take a page out of like Leon Edwards' books where he's just kind of like does what he needs to do to win. Um, but I just don't know if he's going to be able to do that against the top five. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, I like both guys, I think that they could fill out cards, but I just don't see them truly making a like a real run at the belt unless they do something spectacular,
0: right? But uh, um... you know, only time will tell. Yeah, and there's no, there's really no reason to expect either guy to do something unbelievable at this point. It's not like they're either one of them is up and comers. Like they're probably both past their prime at this point, and it's really hard to do something spectacular in this sport, like in the second half of your thirties. Uh,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: Uh, So Holly Holm against Raquel Pennington. Obviously, this is the second time we see this fight. They fought almost exactly five years ago, I think February of 2015. Split decision. Holly Holm, I guess we'd have to call her one of the legends in the sport, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, she's been in some great matchups. She's been a champion. Um, and Raquel is a legend in her own right, too. She's been around for a long time. Um, yeah, you know, this is just one of those uh, fill-out-the-card type of fights. Um, but I think Holly Holm's got this in the bag.
0: So what I wanted to ask you is, is there any reason to believe this could turn out differently than their first fight? Like, Is there any reason to believe Raquel is more likely to win this one than she did in 2015?
1: No, um, the the reason being because uh, I just don't see how Raquel has evolved as a fighter. And um, I think Holly still is learning and growing as a mixed martial artist. We saw it when she fought Megan Anderson uh, at 145. Clearly, she gave up a lot of size in that fight, but was able to take Megan down and kind of use the clinch game to secure a victory. And I think that, you know, I think she's evolved as a fighter and she'll be able to implement her game plan and really execute it a lot better than Raquel will. Um, Raquel's still a solid fighter, but I think Holly Holmes is just uh, at a higher tier than her right now.
0: And I think for me, if if it ever feels like a coin flip, like it go, it could go either way. If one of the two fighters is uh, associated with Jackson Wink or TriStar, I almost always will lean towards that fighter because I feel like they will always find a way to, like, whatever that little advantage you need to take a 50-50 proposition to, like, 55-45 in your favor, they'll figure out how to do it. And they'll find a way to implement that on the night of the fight. And I got to give all the respect in the world to Holly Holm. Uh, she was completely overshadowed at one point by Ronda Rousey, which now seems like it was a hundred years ago. She came in and had one of the most spectacular UFC performances we've ever seen in any weight division, uh, for the women. Uh, she had that, you know, pretty epic, even though she was on the wrong end of it, a pretty epic fight with Misha Tate, uh... And I feel like yeah, she she deserves our respect as a champion and as a great fighter and as like a great person uh, in the in the world of MMA. Like you, another one of these people that like nobody has a bad thing to say about them. I will be rooting for her on Saturday night. Hopefully, we see her come away with another win. Uh, and that kind of wraps up like what I really am knowledgeable about. On this card. So the fights we have left, Alexi Olenek versus Maurice Green. I know Olenek is the Ezekiel choke guy, right? Yeah. Which I know about from listening to your boy Elroy. We have Claudia Gedalia versus Alexa Grasso. Uh, Roxanne Mataferi versus Macy Barber, which actually that is that is one to look forward to. Andre, is it Feely? Yeah, Andre Philly. Versus Sadiq Youssef, one of my favorite Nigerian fighters. Uh, Sabina Mazo versus J.J. Aldrich. What of those fights, like, of all those fights I just listed, which one should be most on my radar as someone who's not
1: super well-versed on all of these matchups? Well, I'll say that Sabina Mazo is on one-fight winning streak in the UFC after losing her first matchup. She's a very young Uh, talent in the UFC and she's the first Colombian UFC fighter Um, but she's she's good and I think she'll get this fight done but the two fights that are the most important out of these uh, five fights is definitely Andre Philly versus Sadiq Youssef and Roxanne Matasferi versus Macy Barber Um, the implications of the Macy Barber Roxanne Matasferi fight is that if Macy Barber wins she'll basically be like maybe a fight away from a title matchup or already in title contention and and, um, Andre Philly versus Sadiq Youssef is one of those fan-friendly fights. But if Sadiq Youssef wins, he's probably going to get a, uh, a top-10 opponent in his next fight because Andre Philly is definitely an excellent opponent for him. And Sadiq is on a tear right now. I mean, this kid's got excellent skills, and, and I think that he'll shine in this fight. But, you know, Philly is way bigger than him, and he's really just going to have to fight smart. But those are the two fights to definitely keep in mind on the radar.
0: So Sadiq Yusuf has been on my radar for a little bit because – and I can't remember if you were around when, when Prep and I had this conversation, but I'm a big uh, proponent of, like, the potential of Nigeria as, like, a powerhouse in athletics. Like, I feel like it is a very untapped uh, nation as far as athletics go. Like, big population there. It has really evolved. I feel like uh, in the past couple decades, like culturally, and we're seeing more Nigerian NBA players. Nigeria's soccer program has become like it's not on the level of a lot of European uh, nations, but like it has reached the the point where they can actually make noise in the World Cup. Uh, and now we're starting to see that. Uh, you know, ring true in MMA, where we have guys like Adesanya as a Nigerian, Usman as a Nigerian. You know, Sadiq Yusuf, another one. It's something I've been talking about for a couple of years, and it's funny now to see like all these different Nigerians succeeding in different places. But this is a guy that I personally have high hopes for because I went out on a limb and predicted. Uh, I think Nigeria is going to be a sports powerhouse. I would love to see this guy make a run. Would love to see him win this fight. Would love to see him. Maybe he can't follow in the footsteps of uh, Adesanya because I feel like that guy is just such a unique personality. And talent, Like, he just captivates you in a way that not many guys do, no matter where you're from. But, like, this is a guy I could see hopefully becoming, like, a dominant fighter. Uh, So that's one that I definitely have my eye on. Um, So those are the two fights you're looking forward to most. What do you think is most likely, you know, when when the show goes off the air on Saturday night, early Sunday morning, what do you think we're saying was the fight of the night?
1: Hmm, that's, that's tough. Um... If I had to really choose one, it's most likely going to be Connor versus Cerrone. Um, but uh, from these picks, um, I really think Philly versus Sadiq Youssef might be definitely right there for fight of the night. I think these guys are going to throw hands, and I think somebody's going to get caught. I think somebody else is also going to get caught. And I think it's just going to be one of those back and forths, you know? Um, and that's what's exciting about this fight. Um, and it's like you said will Sadiq Yusuf shine and potentially be in the same level of like an Israel Adesanya or a Kamaro Usman you know I think he can pull it off and, and if he wins this fight this puts him in a really good position in the 145 pound division
0: right like this could really put him like on his way uh, to, yeah. to reaching where those guys have reached uh, and exactly. who knows you could end up with three Nigerian champions uh, you know maybe a year or two from now you know who knows it, that'd be a, excellent so my last question specifically about UFC 246. I know you said at the top of the show you're looking forward to UFC starting off 2020 in the right way. Do you think that the return of Conor with the other the combination of fights they've put on this card? Do you think this was about the best way they could have opened 2020 with with UFC 246?
1: Um, yeah. Um, the reason being is because if you know if connor wins they're going to want to close the year out with him obviously that means that it's probably going to be a very massive fight yeah and um he'll need time to recover if he gets you know injured in this fight they're going to want to push him just like he said in in a previous interview that with ariel he said he wanted to be ready for the 155 title fight with khabib and tony but also he's going to also want to be ready for the aftermath of that And, um, yeah, I think there was, I think it was the right move. You know, it's a great way to kind of just be like, Hey guys, this is what we're throwing at you in 2020. We brought back, you know, the notorious one and it's, it it brings great energy for the year because they start off strong and they can just finish strong. You know, there's a lot of title fights to be made in 2020 and uh, I think the UFC is going to be on it now
0: yeah if you could bookend your year like start the year with the biggest name in the sport and close the year with the biggest name in the sport, plus if he does fight three times, you're looking at you have the middle of the year with the biggest name in the sport that obviously would be huge for u f c as an organization to be able to to get a january you know maybe june december uh schedule out of Conor McGregor. Especially if he could win the first two and you could be closing out the year with him in like a very prominent position at the end of the year. So yeah, I think this is a great way to start the year. Not many guys that will get the hardcore fan, whether they love him or hate him, and the average kind of casual fan excited then with a the Conor McGregor fight, especially after we haven't seen him in so long. Uh, and then we have a listener question, I guess, to close out with, uh, this comes from your boy Elroy himself, Josh Prepagina. with all the attention on Conor McGregor, uh, for the, for this fight week, which fighter on the card has the most to gain? I think it's obvious that a cowboy win would be the best case scenario as far as upsets, but I think a dominant performance, uh, from Sadiq Youssef could shed light on his dominance of that division to come. So, like, yeah, with that being said, who do you think has the most to gain at UFC 246?
1: Um, I'd like to see the Sadiq Youssef um, idea, and I I agree, Um, but I think... Given the implications of this Macy barber Roxanne on a fairy fight, I think that if Macy Barber puts on a dominant performance, she's basically right there. And you know she's going to call out Valentina if she wins. So I think the one to really gain in this, even though she's not on the main card, is definitely Macy. There's going to be a lot of eyes on her. There are some doubters. And, you know, I ended up almost making a, a meme out of myself on Twitter talking about this fight because people apparently thought I made a mistake and people apparently thought I didn't know the difference between a split decision and a unanimous decision. I goofed it on that part. But, you know, if, you know, even with a unanimous decision victory, if Macy can pull off a victory against the caliber of, of opponent like Roxanne. Um, this could literally propel her right into that fight. So, it's great. It's great for the sport, and I'm I'm hoping that she can pull it off. I'm not counting Roxanne out, but I just have to be honest about what the odd makers are the you know the the betters are thinking of. So, uh, yeah, I think that Macy Barber might have the most to gain in this.
0: So I definitely can't answer with Yusuf because that's basically what Prep's feeling was. And I'm not going to answer the same thing as you just answered. So I'm going to go with an unconventional answer and say that I, even though this kind of goes against the spirit of his question, I really believe Conor McGregor has the most to gain from Saturday because if he loses, I don't know what there is left other than him just getting some fights and collecting some paychecks. But if he wins— or disappearing. Right, or disappearing, <laughs> which is you know kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, but I, w- I went on record as saying I thought he was going to fight two or more times in 2020 based on the fact that I believe he's going to win on Saturday. If he wins on Saturday, and if he wins in the fashion we're used to seeing him win in, that guy will be able to, to call whatever shot he wants. like going forward this year. Like, if he wants Masvidal, he probably gets him. If he wants Usman, he probably gets him. If he wants to to get Khabib again, probably gets him. If he wants to go to 145 and get that belt back, probably gets that if he wants it. So I think that guy has the most to gain on Saturday because Saturday could be like the end of the Conor McGregor we thought we knew, or it could be the rebirth of everything everyone thought he was two years ago. So, that, like I said, it maybe goes against what why Prep was asking, but I want it to be a little <laughs> bit different and not just kind of echo what the two of you both said. Um, so, Andre, anything you'd like to
1: add before we close it out? Uh, thanks for doing this. This was a great episode. Um, it started off a little rocky with some technical <laughs> difficulties, but I'm really glad. I'm really glad that it turned out the way that it did. So, yeah, thanks for doing this, man. And uh, it's always great to have you on. Oh yeah, well, thank you for having me.
0: First of all, too, you're welcome. It was my pleasure to do this. Uh, I have a lot of fun talking about MMA. Like I said uh, on the award show, you guys have kind of reignited my passion for MMA in a way that it hadn't been for a few years. So I'm always excited to get to kind of talk to you in prep uh, about MMA when I get the chance to. Um, And I guess the last thing I'll close with is something prep always says. Uh, Enjoy the fights this weekend. If it's your birthday, happy birthday. Uh, And actually, I'll let you plug your, your social media first
1: oh yeah well everybody you can find me as the name flow state Dre on instagram and twitter you can also find me on facebook as my regular name Andre rodriguez and thank you for tuning in
0: and the your boy elroy uh social media is it at ybe mma ybe
1: yeah ybe mma podcast
0: okay so find the your boy elroy podcast there you can find prep at elroy prepson all one word i believe he says every week I believe that's yeah. the way he phrases it. <laughs> uh, you could find me at Ron Pashery, R-O-N-P-A-S-C-E-R-I, also all one word. So I false start a little bit. I'll do it again. Enjoy the fights this weekend. If it's your birthday, happy birthday. I am Ron Pashery. Thank you to Josh Prepagina for letting me sit in for him this week while he enjoys the sun in Mexico. Uh, and for uh, Andre Rodriguez, uh, we will see you next week.